Good morning, church. Before I get started on today's message, I'd like to just give a shout out to the fathers today. Um, I came from a large family. I have five brothers and a sister, and a lot of time with guys, certainly true with my family, that we use teasing or talking trash or picking on one another as a way to show love. And sometimes that even slips into the church. And I have to admit that I enjoy a good-natured teasing as much as the next guy. But today, I'd like to take a little bit more serious note uh, for all of you fathers out there, because every once in a while, we all need affirmation. So you're, if you're a dad, if you're a father of a young child, if you're an expectant father, father of teenagers, if you're an empty nester or grandfather, even if you're a man who doesn't have children, but you've been called into a mentoring relationship where somebody looks at you as a father figure, you have been given a challenging, rewarding, and honorable calling. And my prayer for you is that God will give you wisdom, patience, and pleasure in this role, and that you will feel God's presence, his loving guidance, and that you will feel his pleasure in you as you love, serve, and guide those that God has put into your care. Happy Father's Day. All right, on to today's sermon. Uh, some of you might have looked at the screen this morning and said to yourself, who is that guy? And that's a, that's a fair question, and I will answer that. But before I do, I have a question for you, and that is, who do you say I am? Now, you, if you don't know me, you might just think I'm one of the old guys at church. If you've known me for a long time, you might say that, well, that's Sarah and Stacy's dad. Or if you know my wife, you might say, that's Nancy's husband. Or if you've been with me socially, since I know I talk probably way too much, you might know things about me, like I'm from South Dakota, that I used to work for Dow Corning, that I love to bike and kayak and fish and golf and eat and cook, and that I'm an Enneagram 7. You might know all of those things, and they're all true. Everything I shared with you is true, but do any of those things really define who I am? Well, we're going to dig into that, along with a few other questions today. Uh, my name is Mike Ladenberger, and I'm an elder here at Midland Evangelical Free Church, and Pastor Jeremy asked me if I'd be willing to bring the message one week so that he could enjoy some time with his family on a well-deserved vacation and I said that I would be happy to do that, so here I am. I'm going to bring you today's message through five questions. I'm going to start out with three questions that I'm going to use and then unpack from the scripture for today. And then I'm going to finish with two questions that we'll use as either an application or a, a call to action. So let's just jump right into those first three questions. And those questions are, who is Jesus? Who is Peter? And who am I? Or if I could be so bold, who are we? So I'm including those last two questions as one. Who am I or who are we? So I'd like to turn to today's scripture, which is taken from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. So if you have a Bible, uh, grab your Bible and look that up. Uh, Mark 8, 27 through 30. I believe that uh, through the technical wizardry, wizardry of some people uh, working behind the scenes, uh, the words will show up on the screen. Uh, but if they don't, that's okay. You can just read along. And um, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay too. It's a, it's a very short passage of Scripture and one that I think many of you will find uh, very familiar. I'll be reading from the ESV version. And just as a quick background, I want to remind you that Jesus has recently calmed a storm and he's healed a blind man. And now he and his disciples are traveling to a pagan city and we pick it up there in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. 
And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Okay, so here they are in this place, Caesarea Philippi, which basically was a a site of pagan worship, of idol worship. And he asked them these very telling questions. So before I try to address those questions, please join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we praise you, Lord, for who you are, the almighty and eternal God. We're so thankful for the, the words of scripture that were put down faithfully by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we could have these events uh, protected until today so that we could dig into the life of Jesus Christ and the early followers to understand better, Lord, who you are and what you desire of us. And Father, we know that truth comes from you through your holy word. So I just pray that whatever anyone takes away today will be only your truth. But may my words be faithful to that truth. And may you use me for your purposes. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So who is Jesus? Jeremy and Chuck have done a great job the last several weeks of deepening our understanding of who Jesus is. And I don't plan to review all of what they taught us, but I do hope to build upon their teaching. And I want to focus on one phrase this morning, and that is, you are the Christ. Or some translations might say, you are the Messiah. Now, Christ is a Greek word and Messiah, a Hebrew word, both meaning anointed or anointed one. And anointed is not a word that we use a lot today. So let's just start out with a dictionary definition. Dictionary will tell us that anointed means chosen. It can mean named king or queen or made holy by God. And I think those are all really good definitions. For in early times, priests and kings were ceremonially anointed as an official sign of being appointed to office, and as a symbol of God's power upon them. In 1 Samuel 24.6, David states that King Saul was God's anointed one. And Israel saw each subsequent king, including King David, as God's anointed one. And they eagerly awaited the Messiah to come from this line of kings. Now, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to be critical of the Jewish people. I mean, when Jesus asked his disciples who people said he was. They said John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. Now, they hadn't seen prophets for hundreds of years. John the Baptist was the closest thing they had seen. So what did they know of Jesus? They knew that he was an amazing teacher who taught well beyond his years and his education. He knew things about people that he shouldn't know. And, of course, he performed miracles. But he wasn't a warrior. So here he is, the long-awaited Messiah, and they didn't see him. But I believe that they didn't see him because they didn't see what they were expecting. What were they expecting? I think they were expecting a new, improved King David. If you remember King David, when he was good, he was great. I mean, he defeated a giant when he was a young boy. He was a great warrior. He won battle after battle. He was a writer and gifted poet. He was very passionate. But when he wasn't good, He was also pretty bad. We know that he committed adultery, and he basically sent a man off to battle knowing that he would be killed, essentially committing murder. But despite his human failings, God 
called him a man after his own heart. And I believe this is because he passionately loved God. And the Jewish people knew that about him. But what they wanted is they wanted a Messiah who had all the good parts of King David without any of the failings. They wanted, at Jesus' time, basically a Messiah who would come and defeat Rome and return the Jewish people to their rightful place as a world power, greatly respected and feared. But like we do as humans quite often, what they wanted was less than God had planned to give. So by whom was Jesus anointed? He was anointed by God. And for what was Jesus anointed? Well, he was not anointed to defeat Rome. But he was anointed to defeat an enemy. And that is the greatest enemy of all time, sin and death. Jesus was anointed to be savior of the world. He was anointed to redeem mankind and all of creation. He was anointed to put man back into proper relationship with God. Now, as we look at Jesus' life, we see that he was obedient to God the Father in all things, faithful to do whatever the Father called him to do, including including going to the cross to accomplish what he was here and called to do. He also did it according to God's timing. In verse 30, which is kind of interesting, it says, and this is Jesus, he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, obviously, that's not a command for all people for all time, because today we're supposed to tell everybody about Jesus. But at that time, his time had not yet come to reveal who he truly was. So Jesus, Son of God, anointed to be Savior of the world. Well, let's move on to Peter. Who is Peter? And I have an illustration to help with this one. And, and not a story illustration, but an actual picture illustration. And this is it. This is how I see Peter. You know, that enthusiastic, call on me. I can do it. I'll go. I'll, I'll speak. I'll jump. I'm the guy, right? I mean, Peter, he's the guy who, in Matthew 14, when he saw Jesus walking on water, stepped out of the boat, and he walked on water, too. In today's passage, Peter is the one who speaks up and acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah. In John 6, when Jesus' followers, many of Jesus' followers are leaving him because his teaching is just too hard for them to accept, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you leaving also? And Peter responds. Again, Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And then in John 18, in his desire to protect his Lord, Peter draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, not a very smart move, and actually probably not even the right move, but you have to admit it's at least a courageous or a move that takes someone who's just willing to jump into things very quickly. So that's Peter, but this is also Peter. Peter's the guy that when he saw the wind, once he stepped out on the water, he saw the wind and the waves, he looked down, his fear overtook his faith, and he sunk. And maybe his most disappointing moment in Luke 22, where Peter denies Jesus three times, once to a mere servant girl. So who is Peter? Is he this guy? Or is he this guy? I would say he's both. 
His flesh or his human nature is constantly fighting against his spiritual nature. In other words, Peter is just like us. But there's one more element of Peter that needs to be highlighted. And I want to go to uh, Matthew 16 just for a moment. And this is Matthew's uh, putting down of the same event into words that we read in Mark. But he adds a few extra words. So I'm going to start reading in verse 17. This is Matthew 16, verse 17. And Peter has just said to Jesus that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is how Jesus responds. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So we have this event, and then following later in Acts, Acts 2, we see the event of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes across upon Peter and the disciples, and Peter becomes a changed man. I mean, he's still Peter. He's still the character of Peter, both the good and the bad. But he becomes more bold and more confident and even more determined. It's the Holy Spirit living in him that changes him. And Peter goes on to do amazing work for God, just as Jesus proclaimed that he would. In that passage, when Jesus is speaking, there's a little bit of a play on words. He says, uh, Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. So Peter and rock are essentially the same word, the same root. But what he's saying is, Peter, I'm going to use you. You're going to be foundational in the building of my church. And when I say the church, I'm talking about the body of believers around the world of every nation, tongue, and tribe. And Peter was used for that. He went on to preach the gospel. He did miracles. He wasn't perfect. We see that in Acts. He still made some mistakes, but he was obedient to God's calling, and God used Peter to do great things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he built a church, or he started a church, that has grown and still prospers today. Now, some of you might think, The church is not prospering because you look around the United States and you don't see what you wish you would see. But I want to remind you that the United States is not the church. The church is the body of believers around the world. And brothers and sisters, that church continues to grow today faster than population is growing. It's still the largest religion in the world and it's projected to be the largest religion in the world at least until 2050. And I would also encourage you to say that I believe there are pockets or remnants of of very healthy church right here in the United States. And I pray that Midland Evangelical Free is one of those churches that is healthy and prospering and that God will use it in a mighty way to touch this community. So that's Peter. So how about us? Who am I or who are we as Christians? I mean, like Peter, we love Jesus and we want to be like him. And like Peter, I'll speak for myself, I mess up all the time. But brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be discouraged. I mean, even for me, if I look back to yesterday, I'm not sure I could say I'm a better man today than I was yesterday. But if I look back 10 years, or even five years, probably even one year, I can say with confidence that I'm a better man than I was then. And not because of my work, 
but because of the Holy Spirit changing me from the inside out. We will never be perfect until we meet Jesus Christ face to face. I would like to share some words of encouragement with you from the writings of Neil T. Anderson. Neil writes that as Christians, we are declared righteous by God, not because of our work, but instead because of the work and sacrifice of Jesus. Consequently, our identity comes from what God has done for us. Another way to say this is that our identity comes from what God says about us. And because of those truths, I will not find my identity in my achievements, my possessions, my profession, or even at my family and friends. I will find my identity in Christ alone. So going back to Neil's writing, he wrote a devotional called Who I Am in Christ. And I just took some excerpts from that writing. Who am I in Christ? I am accepted. John 1.12 tells us, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I am secure. Romans 8, 1 through 2. So now there is no condemnation for those that belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And I am significant. Acts 1, 8, and this is Jesus speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let me just quickly summarize my answers to these first three questions again. Who is Jesus, who is Peter, and who are we? Jesus is the Son of God. He's fully God and fully man. He's one person of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the Anointed One. He is Savior of the world and Redeemer of all creation. How about Peter? Peter's like us, a follower of Jesus, yet flawed in that his human nature is at war with his spiritual nature. Yet empowered to do great things through the working of the Holy Spirit in him. And how about us? We're like Peter, flawed, but through Jesus' sacrifice for us and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are accepted, secure, significant, and empowered to do great things for God. Yes, the same spirit that allowed Peter to do miracles lives in us. So I have two questions that I give you now to end our time together this morning, and I intend these as a call to action. And the first one is by far the most important. And that question is, who do you say Jesus is? And my last question for you this morning is, who do people say you are? Let's start with the first and most important question. Who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. You've probably heard that before. Jesus claimed to be God, and if that's true, he's our Lord. If it's not true, and he knew it wasn't true, he's a liar. If it's not true and he thought it was true, he's a lunatic. Tim Keller, pastor and theologian, added the word legend to this list because today some people look at Jesus and they say he's just a storybook character made up by powerful men to keep the masses in check. But that's not what I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Son of God, fully God, Savior of the world. I want to talk to those of you that 
maybe aren't quite sure about this Jesus as Lord thing. If you're unsure about God, Jesus, and salvation, first of all, I just want to say thank you for being here. The fact that you're willing to listen to ideas that maybe make you a little uncomfortable. Good for you. And uh, really glad to have this time together. And I have two things I just want to ask you to consider doing. And they're not, I think, too onerous. Uh, The first one is that you would just pray a simple prayer. And if you don't like that word prayer, then just see this as making a request. And here's your request. Say to God or say to yourself silently, God, if you are real and if Jesus is who he says he is, reveal truth to me. God, if if you are real and Jesus is who he says he is, reveal truth to me. Now, there's another step. I mean, God could just give you a vision or speak to you in a dream. We know that's possible, but that's not the way he normally works. He's given us his holy word here. Um, And I would just recommend that you spend some time in this Holy Word. I'd recommend not starting at the beginning, but maybe jumping up to the Gospel of Mark, which is the book that we're going through in this summer series. And just read a couple of pages a day. But each day when you sit down to read, before you start reading, say that, make that request or say that prayer. God, if you are real and Jesus is who he says he is, reveal truth to me. And then allow yourself to be silent And listen to that little voice inside of you. It may be that God is reaching out and trying to reach you. And finally, I just want to encourage you that you don't have to be in this alone. If you have questions, you can talk to the staff here at church. You can talk to the elders. If you're part of a small church or a life group, you have Christian neighbors or Christian friends, I'm sure that they would be willing and happy to sit down and talk to you about this very important subject to help you as you deal with with your questions and your concerns about this idea of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, if you do declare Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to speak to all of you right now, and I want to encourage you. I want to remind you who you are in Christ, that you are accepted, significant, and secure. I want you to remember that in good times and bad, that God's Holy Spirit lives within you to lead you, to guide you, and to give you strength. And as you continue to draw closer to Jesus every day, I just encourage you to trust that the Holy Spirit is working to change you from the inside out. So last question. Who do others say that you are? I earlier said that our identity comes from who God says we are, not who others say we are. So you might ask, why are you posing this question? Well, that's because as Jesus' followers, God has chosen to use us to reach others with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I ask this question so that we can look at ourselves and say, do people see the love of Jesus living through our actions and words? Are we allowing God to use us to bring others closer to Jesus? So I ask myself these questions. Do I... Do we live like Jesus? Are we humble? Do we think of others more than we think of ourselves? Do we love? Do I love as Jesus loved? Loving even the unlovable? Does my life exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, through 23 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, And against such things, there is no law. 
I want to be that person. And I want us to be that church. I want people to look at us and see that. I want people to look at me and see that. Am I growing closer to Jesus every day so that God can use me to help others grow closer to Jesus also? This is my prayer for myself and my prayer for you as a church that we would be known by the fruits of the Spirit, that God would be given the glory, and that more and more people would be drawn to Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, Savior of the world. Father God, awesome Father, mighty Creator and Lord, Father, we do desire to be like Jesus, but we are weak in our flesh. We are so thankful for your Holy Spirit that moves within us. And we just pray, Father, that you will continue to grow us to be more like Jesus. That when we mess up, that you would just convict us so that we can turn to you and ask your forgiveness, knowing that you are faithful to forgive and that you never leave us, but you continue to work with us and you will continue to work with us as many days as you give us on this earth, that we might be used by you to touch the lives of others for your great glory, for you are deserving of all honor, glory, and praise, Lord. And in doing this for you, mankind is served because there is no greater gift than the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We praise you and we love you. We come before you and lay all of our requests at your feet and just pray, Lord, that you continue to be with us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.